Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thank you for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and ladies and gentlemen, behind the glass, we have the captain. And we would like to remind you that beer is the reason we wake up every afternoon. And if you put your beer in a coffee mug and you act like it's warming you up, no one's the wiser. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Well, Captain, we are on day two of 120 days dry-aged stout, and it just keeps getting better. This beer is from Evil Twin Brewing, and it's one of those rare go-big-and-stay-home stouts. ABV, 17.5%. Garage grade, four and three-quarter bottle caps out of five. And this week's beer is provided to us by these garage soldiers right here. First up, a big tomahawk cheers to Chandra in Mohawk, New York. And a big shout out to Kylie in Durham, UK. Next up, we have a cheers to Shelly in Kennebunkport, Maine. And a big O-H-I-O to Greg in Dublin, Ohio. Gregory. Next up, we have Melissa from Niagara Falls, Ontario. And last but not least, we have Laura sending a big cheers, mates, from Orlando, Florida. Thanks to everybody for filling up the fridge for this week's show. If you want to help us out with next week's show, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on that little donate button. And for all of our old episodes, download the Stitcher app and listen for free. Also, if you need more of The Garage, sign up on Stitcher Premium for our weekly show, Off the Record. And that is enough of the business. All right, everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. Police believe that Lindsay Buziak was specifically targeted for a brutal murder, which looks like a professional hit. So the real estate showing was likely a ruse to get Lindsay alone in a place where she was vulnerable. The murder shows a certain level of sophistication and planning. Now, not only were the police stumped as to the identity of the murderers, but they were clueless as to any motive as well. Right, which is going to cause them to look deeper into Lindsay's life. Yeah, investigators will be examining her financial records and social media accounts, even the deleted chats and messages that she had. Lindsay had a lot of friends, and by all accounts, no enemies. She also led a low-risk lifestyle, didn't owe anyone any money, and had a perfect credit score. Now, Drugs were a big part of the young 20s lifestyle in the area at this time. Mm -hmm. But Lindsay was not a drug user and, in fact, disliked drugs and what they did to people. Now, let's go through some of the more popular suspects and theories. Okay. First, we want to talk about Jason Zalo. 
her boyfriend. As we mentioned, there is a major group of internet crime watchers who believe vehemently that Jason was instrumental in Lindsay's murder. And this is partially because there are widely divergent thoughts about their relationship. Lindsay's sister, Sarah, with whom she was very close, said, quote, Lindsay was with Jason at the time, and I knew that she was extremely happy. Lindsay's mother's side of the family, the Wrightmeyers, who lived in Victoria and knew Jason, believe that he has been cooperative and caring in the aftermath of Lindsay's murder. But Lindsay's father, Jeff, tells a very different story. He says that Lindsay confided in him that she was unhappy with Jason and that he was controlling, possessive, and jealous, and she wanted out. Jeff Buziak, in his very public stated opinion, says Jason Zalo was complicit in his daughter's death. He doesn't believe that Jason actually did the stabbing, but he believes that Jason and his family are involved in a conspiracy and plotted to kill Lindsay. As Jeff Buziak tells it, Lindsay was afraid and told him that she, quote, seen something she shouldn't have seen. Even if this happened, which our sources say that it did not, the rest of her family and friends know nothing about this. But even if she did tell her father that she saw something she shouldn't have seen, there is no evidence that it was in any way actually connected to Jason. Jeff has stated that Lindsay saw something scary that involved something really bad, like human trafficking, snuff films, political corruption, extortion, and that Jason was involved. We cannot emphasize enough that there is absolutely zero evidence of this. Jeff Buziak has zeroed in on Jason, as have his online followers. Based on the following rumors, speculation, gossip, much of which is not backed up by any credible sources and even contradicts actual evidence in the case. So let's try to go through some of these thoughts one at a time. Mm -hmm. Jason and Lindsay may have been having trouble. Lindsay wanted out, and also Jason was selling steroids. This is one of the theories that would lead to Jason being involved. Here's the other Jason engineered his whole alibi, making sure to be captured on surveillance camera and to bring Cohen along when he went to meet Lindsay right. while being sure to be there well after 530 so that the killers would have the opportunity to get her alone. Well, again, and this is also controlling the narrative because we have one narrative saying that she was a little leery about meeting these individuals and then she wanted her boyfriend to come and assist her. Well, he then controls the narrative by saying, no, no, that's not why I was there, which, again, one of my big questions is if he was there to protect her and he is a real estate agent, why are you waiting? Why are you waiting? Are you waiting to give them the opportunity to do what you know that they're there to do, and that is to murder your girlfriend? Or, because we have the one one story. But then by him controlling the narrative to say, no, that's not why I was there. That gives the the question of why would you wait, that answers it. But who's answering that for us? Jason. Well, I get what you're saying, but I, I think what we have here is we have Jeff and others controlling the narrative. I think what we have Jason saying is he had to answer the police and, and investigators' questions. And I think that that is why that what his statements are do not really combat what the narrative is, because it's the narrative is just that it's it's a, it's a story of why Jason would be there and to put bad light onto Jason. If Jason was, in fact, controlling the narrative, the narrative would have changed by this point. It has not. It's just simply he's providing an answer to police. Police are going to want to know. Look, dude, you're the you're her boyfriend. How the hell is it that you are the one that discovered her body? Why were you there in the first place? Mm -hmm. She's a big girl. She is showing this house. She doesn't need your help. 
What is your reasoning for being there? There's no coincidence in the world that explains away that you just happen to be at the place and find your, your girlfriend's dead body. So he needs a reason to be there. Police want a reason for him to be there. We have Jeff Buziak and others who are saying he was there as the muscle. He was there as protection to protect Lindsay. Mm-hmm. Where Jason is, in fact, saying no. And keep in mind, he's questioned that night. He had already answered this question before this whole idea of him being there to protect her even came out. So it's not like he's... he's. Well, hold on a second, though. But if you're planning a murder or you're planning... Uh, somebody to murder your girlfriend, you can also then plan a couple steps. Hey, I know I need to be at this property because I'm going to be seen on surveillance. I'm going to call this individual. I'm going to have this other individual with me. This gives me an alibi. Okay, so I'm the one that finds her. Again, that makes some logical sense on how you open up the front door and within two seconds you're upstairs and you found her body and you didn't go looking anywhere else in the house. You went right to her. Was that part of the plan? So what I'm saying is it's not that far-fetched for him to, you know, for other people to say, hey, we think that Lindsay was concerned about going and meeting these individuals, and he knew that would be a question that was brought up, so now I need to but it wouldn't shift be. the narrative. No, 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 no. But it, the problem with that is it, it would not be the question. The question would be, why are you there at all for right. any reason? What is your reasoning for actually being there? To which he had a very plausible answer. No, I, and I don't, dis, what I don't I, dispute that, but what I'm saying is it's not that far-fetched to think if somebody's involved in this. No, 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 I get that. What I'm, what figure I'm, out their story, you know, beforehand. Well, of course, of course. If you're going to go to the, to the effort to hire somebody to kill somebody that you know, you're definitely going to come up with some kind of story. Right. I mean, if you didn't, you've just put the the cart before the horse there. It makes right. no no damn sense. What I'm pointing out horses in this case. What I'm pointing out here is that the narrative that he was there to protect her in any shape or form did not even that was not even a thought at the time that Jason was initially questioned in the murder oh, right, of his right, girlfriend. Right. Yeah. So it's not like what I'm saying is he's presenting a reason for being there. He's not presenting a reason that's different than what was later said just to be different. Right. Is what I'm getting at. Right, he's right, just giving right. a plausible reason. Yeah. Now, here's the other thing that I want to point out, too. All right. First off, a much better alibi would have been to be as far away as possible. If he wanted to get rid of Lindsay and stage, I mean, he could have staged an accident or a disappearance, which would made of made a lot less less of a splash than a sensational savage murder. Mm-hmm. But then on top of that, think about this. If he really thought this through, unless he's just a moron, if he's going to go to the effort to hire somebody to kill his girlfriend, why wouldn't he be as far away as possible? Because now you're opening up yourself to further questioning. Some people will go, well, he wanted to confirm that she was dead, wanted to confirm that the hit actually went down. Mm-hmm. Okay, I get that, but any reasonable person is going to know that you are already subjected to a certain line of questioning because you are her live-in boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're also the boyfriend and find the body, be the one that finds the body, you are opening up yourself to a whole other line of questioning. Right, right, which I agree, but I also think like it's kind of one or the other be as far away as possible or be as close as you can, you know, hide in plain sight. Well, the, the thing here is though, he had an alibi without creating one. Okay. He took Cohen with him to SHC to, to whatever that meeting was, uh, that they were going to discuss that day. We know that he was the listing agent for that property. That we, Jason was. Yeah. We know that Cohen and him had a, a hockey game later that night. Right. So he had a solid alibi from the time that they that he and Cohen arrived at SHC through the end of the hockey game. Instead, if he was involved, then we have to believe he went out of his way to go to the home that she was killed in 
It, it just again it, that doesn't bother me because, like I said, it's one or the other. In my eyes, be as far as way way as possible, uh, be around as many people as possible, or be as close as possible. And and you're carrying your get out of jail free card with you in the passenger seat. I understand that, but what I'm pointing out here is that it's it get real heated in the garage. It doesn't need to. What I'm pointing out is that it to me it makes his reason his reason for being there, for being at 1702 De Sosa place verifiable. It makes it makes that carry more weight to me. He has a reason to be there that is not her protection. He has a reason to be there to get her to sign some papers, to go over some paperwork, to have a quick meeting. One, Cohen would be aware of this as he travels along with Jason. Two, you can verify this by the person that actually owns the property and by the person making an offer on the property as well. It just doesn't, doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Now, there's a lot of things in a lot of cases that are not supposed to make a lot of sense. So right. we can we can agree to disagree on that. Um, well, and I'm not saying that that's what I think. I'm I'm saying I think that's a lot of these armchair detectives. That's where they're going. Man, oh, this doesn't add up to me. And, and that's all I'm saying. So some other things that people have pointed out here is that Jason moved his car from the cul-de-sac to the main road, either to see a signal from the killers that the, that the coast was clear or to see whether they were gone, that they had left the property. I don't know. There's no way for us to verify why he moved the car. Right. Because if you, again, this is another situation where somebody comes up with this theory and you go, well, that makes sense. I'll park here. Uh, I didn't see anybody. Now I move a little closer. Okay, now they gave me the signal. Okay, once I saw those individuals, now we got to get into the house. Okay, that makes some logical sense. But his story was, and and if his story is correct, that he wasn't there to protect her, but he was just there for paperwork, he didn't want to interrupt her. He didn't want to seem like lurking. He didn't want these clients to come out and to see some some dudes in the car and think, who the hell are these guys? Uh, so that's why he parked down a little ways. Once he's not getting a response, drives closer. So it's, again, both kind of make logical sense. The other thing, though, too, is if he is, in fact, there for a meeting, think about the way that this whole event is described. They pull up into the cul-de-sac and he's waiting in the vehicle to which later he moves the vehicle to an actual parking space. Okay. Mm -hmm. Many times you can sit in a vehicle waiting and you're not in an actual parking space. The way that this is worded is that he actually moves the vehicle to park the car to exit the vehicle. Right. That also makes sense to me there. But again, we don't know. We may never know. And then again, of course, the, the statement that, comes up often that he ran straight up the stairs once he entered the house as if he knew where she would be found. There are several people out there too that say Jason is friends with some low level drug dealer types. Well, let's just stay on that, that real quick. Um, I buy his statements. I mean, he, he, again, he's going over this with uh, detectives and everything, but it, it is a little fishy to me that you open the door and within seconds you're, you're by the body. Um, but again, it, it could have just been a gut feeling or his thought maybe just been, I'm going to run upstairs first, or we don't know every detail that, he, you know, based on the shadowy figures that he saw or the layout of the house. We don't know. There could have been a reason why he, decided to go up there first and maybe just subconsciously. Uh, But I see why people find that a little fishy. I too found that to be strange. Now we should point out and be very clear here that two years after the murder, Saanich police announced in a press conference that they had actually cleared Jason Zalo. They admitted that as Lindsay's boyfriend, he had initially been a person of interest, but After a two-year-long investigation, 
including 1,471 interviews, 30 search warrants, and follow-up on 752 tips, the Saanich PD Major Crimes Unit felt confident that Jason was not involved. The forensic evidence, footprints, and fingerprints found at the scene backed up his and Cohen's stories about their movements inside the home that evening, adding, quote, Mr. Zalo and his friend were under intense police scrutiny. However, Mr. Zalo was cooperative with police, took a polygraph exam, and passed. Based on forensic evidence, timeline of communications, witness testimony, video surveillance, we do, I'm sorry, we know he's not the killer. Was he perhaps somehow involved in the planning? Well, he successfully passed a polygraph and he successfully took part in all of these interviews with us. So at this point in time, he is not considered a suspect, end quote. Well, I'm glad that you bring, bring that up because I really think that people don't look at evidence enough. And when you see this chatter online about certain cases, it drives me insane. There is evidence. And what we do have and what the police are stating is if you look at the forensic evidence and you look at uh, the questioning and the interrogation and then the lie detector, what we know is that the events that he said that took place that night in that house, we know he's telling the truth about that. So that could, I think, should sway some people to go, well, if he's being cooperative and the police believe that his stories are truthful, then some of the things that don't line up, you have to start kind of favoring that maybe he is telling the truth because law enforcement believe he is or believe that they have evidence to prove he is. Yeah, and the thing, too, is we understand that polygraphs, they don't mean a whole lot to the captain or myself, okay? We understand that they don't hold up in a court of law. But I like them. <laughs> I don't mind them, but I, I hate the emails that, that we get or the blog post of, why do you even discuss a polygraph exam? You know they don't, they're not, you can't present them in the court of law. Well, I don't care if you can. We understand that. But, We're but just... you, you can't also <laughs> present in the court of law that a detective got a bad feeling about somebody. But somebody that interviews hundreds of thousands of people throughout their career, I'm going to go with some of these people's guts, gut feelings. Well, and it's not us that asked anybody to take a polygraph exam. We're just reporting that. But I will. We're reporting what the police stated, that, that he was given one, and according to them, they, he passed it. Now, police also publicly denied swirling rumors that they searched the condo where Jason and Lindsay lived, but only after obtaining a warrant. Now, to be perfectly clear, the condo was searched, but they did not need a warrant. We don't know why exactly they did not need a warrant, but presumably we can say it could be because Jason gave them permission. Right. Jason did lawyer up pretty quickly, but this is probably because he was placed in restraints and taken to the station when he found Lindsay's body. This is a move that any smart person would likely make. Right. Police investigated Jason, his finances, his background, his associates, his business dealings thoroughly for two years. The fact is, there is simply zero I actually think right. And I actually think the play by the law enforcement is bad to actually cuff him. I think what they should have done is don't cuff him, take him down the station for questioning and to see if he would lawyer up. But I think, like you said, once you're taken down and, um, and you're cuffed and you're in restraints, that might get you thinking, hey, this is serious mm -hmm. and I need a lawyer up. Now on to Jason's family. According to internet theorists on Jeff Buziak's website and other message boards, this is the Zalo family conspiracy. The theory is complicated, but let's go through it. Jason's brother, Ryan, and Jason's mother, Shirley, also worked in the real estate business. Lindsay actually met Jason through his brother, Ryan, whom she met at their real estate course. They all worked for the same company and did business together. Shirley was Lindsay's manager at Remax. And depending on who you ask, 
either her mentor and confidant or her nemesis. Many believe that surely and likely Ryan were all in on this hit on Lindsay. And here's what they base this conspiracy theory on. Shirley Zalo bought a lake house for Lindsay and Jason that cost in excess of $1.2 million and also paid for Lindsay's breast enhancement surgery. Let's go ahead and go through this before we move on to the next thing. That those statements are false. Okay. The truth is the lake house was just Shirley's vacation home. Shirley owned this home. It was her vacation home. Right. And the other truth, Lindsay paid for her own surgery. So whatever people think that that property or the money involved in the surgery or that property, however, they believe it to be mixed up in the murder of Lindsay. It doesn't work out. Right. It just doesn't work out. Okay. And here's the other thing. Shirley had a lot of money and therefore some people say she must have been involved in drug trafficking, money laundering, or a combination thereof. The truth is Shirley simply is just a very successful real estate agent and realtor. She's, she's really good at what she does. And that has really advanced her career and her earnings throughout the years. Right. So, but to be clear, so there was a lake house they when they decided to move in when Jason and Lindsay decided to move in together that's where they moved they were there for a while and then that and then after being there for a while they moved out and got a condo together right so we also have a situation where people point out that Lindsay found out about the corruption in Shirley Jason and Ryan's business so she had to be eliminated Again, this goes back to the idea of Shirley has a lot of money, therefore she must be involved in something nefarious. The truth is, again, she's just a successful person. Now, Shirley set the whole thing up by calling Lindsay in a fake accent. So this is people saying that Shirley, Jason's mother, was actually the person that made that phone call well, to we, Lindsay. Don't we know by pings that the, the phone was in a a whole different area until that Friday. You're absolutely correct. Uh, Shirley and Ryan in disguise were actually the couple who met up with Lindsay or the Mexican couple that was hired to help to lure Lindsay into the home and Ryan and or Shirley were waiting inside to waiting inside the house to kill Lindsay. Okay. So this one's a little convoluted because there's several different ways that this works out. But the gist of it is that Shirley and Ryan would be, would be directly involved in the murder, mm-hmm. either waiting outside for her for the meeting to bring her into the home, or one or both of them actually committed the murder themselves. problem with this is that we know that Lindsay met with these two individuals, and we also have forensic evidence that, that puts them going through the at least the downstairs and so you're going to tell me that that Lindsay is not going to recognize her her boyfriend's brother in disguise or or uh or the woman she works with and for right possibly her mentor or nemesis either one you either really like her face or you hate her face and you, but you know her face okay here's some other things too where people point out that Shirley was friends with the builder remember we mentioned Joe DeSousa and therefore she would have had access to the house. We can't say for certain if she would or would not have had access to the house. It seems a little far-fetched for me um, because here's the thing. We have the statement of Lindsay not being the listing agent for that property, mm-hmm. but it's believed that somebody at Remax was the listing agent for that property. I think if Shirley Zalo was the listing agent if she was directly involved with that property, right. she would have access to it and it would be all over the internet. But right. that's not what anybody's saying. So it seems to me likely that, that yeah, she may have known Joe. That doesn't seem to be that big of a deal because what we will find, what I believe to be one of the issues with this case and with the rumors swirling around this whole case, is that even though that this is a big city and the greater metro area, over 350,000 people, it's, it doesn't live that way. 
it lives as a situation where everybody is only separated basically by one degree of separation. Well, I think what they mean by her knowing the builder is that there was construction going on in that area so that she would know that the construction would have been done um, by the time that they were supposed to meet up at 530. Oh, that th- there would be the, the street yeah, the builder would be has nothing to do with the house that they were meeting at. Well, he built, he built the house. Right, but when they're talking about the builder, they're talking because there's cons- there was construction on that street always till about 5, 5.30 every day. Mm-hmm. So they were saying that she would know that this builder would be gone by then, and so there would be less eyewitnesses. Agreed. But what people are also pointing out is that Shirley would have had access to the house. Right. But as a real estate agent, because when um, Jason was trying to get access to the house to get inside, you know, he called his mother to try to get to try to get the, um, the code. Right. Well, I know that he called people. I, I don't know for certain who he called. Well, I believe he, he called his mother to try to get the, the number and I don't think she could get it. But the realtors would have uh, ways to get access to that number, but we'd have a trail because if she is not the listing agent and obviously Lindsay wasn't, they would have to probably get that code from that listing agent. So we would have somebody coming forward saying, Hey, you know, the day of the murders, uh, Jason's mom came and got, got some information from me. And also if it's true that Jason called his mother to try to get access to in into the house then they should be able to find cell phone ping technology to to kind of find out where jason's mother was at at the time of the attack the evidence keeps pouring in At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL Learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. 
Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back, you filthy animals. So continuing on the path here of the Zalo family having some involvement or orchestrating this whole murder, people point out that surely Jason's mother was friends with a guy named Terry Sheen who lived in a nearby house. This is located near the murder house. Mm -hmm. And that's where some people claim that she, that Shirley and Jason's brother Ryan escaped to to hide after committing the murder. Okay, the problem with this theory is that house was searched that night and searched very quickly. So they didn't find Ryan and Shirley hiding in this house. And in fact, Shirley showed up at the scene within a short amount of time after the murder. People, again, point out that this means that she was already on scene, on location at the time of the murder. Yeah, she just walked out from a bush. Hey, guys, I'm here. So... The thing is, I, I get that. That does create suspicion, and I would be suspicious of such. But then we have to take that just one little step further and remind ourselves that 
Shirley is not only Jason's mother, who he was on the scene, but also Lindsay's boss. And as the captain suspects, she may have received a phone call from Jason who was trying to gain access to the home saying something's going on. The door's locked. I don't know what's happening here. Again, if that's correct, yeah, because he was trying to get access. He was freaking out at this point. Why wouldn't she even just head that way? This is, again, one of those things where it's like both sides of the coin make sense. What we don't know is is the side of the coin, uh, the truth. Well, and we one thing we do know regarding phone calls made when he was trying to access the home one of those calls was to the Remax office. Okay. So he may have not directly called his mother, right. but remember, we've already stated that they all work together. And so this may be, she was at the office when this call came in. The other thing here too, is people have said that Shirley later dated a Saanich police officer so that she had some way of controlling the investigation or the statements that were coming out from the police department after, well after the murder. Again, I get it, and I see where the suspicion is, but this seems like a whole lot of orchestrating by by one, just a couple of people. It seems like a lot of work to be doing. But not only that, it's she dated this guy after the fact. That could just be a coincidence. And again, this is a large city where it seems like everybody knows one another or they're just one degree of separation away from one another. Well, as far as the motive goes uh, to to involve Jason's mother, it's it's this idea, again, creating the narrative. She saw something she shouldn't have saw. Okay, so what is that? And as an investigator, it's like you have to follow that rabbit hole down and then you have to find evidence of what is it. Is there some involvement with the drug selling, um, human trafficking, whatever it is. But if you get to the end of the road and you can't find evidence of that, they're either just a good real estate agent or they're really good at hiding this other stuff. And before we move on, we would be remiss if we did not point out that some people say that the Zalo family even had access to a killer, somebody that they could have hired to carry out this murder. Okay, this would be a man by the name of Ziggy Matheson. Okay, he is, by all accounts, a low-level drug dealer. Ziggy was a childhood friend and hockey buddy of Jason's and Ryan's. Yeah. Shirley rented a home to Ziggy. Now, Shirley rented a home to him for five years. This wasn't a situation where he just poof appears on the scene shortly before her murder and then poof disappears shortly afterwards. Shirley rented this home to this man for five years. And she stated that, you know, he lived there for so long because he always paid his rent on time and he didn't cause us any trouble when he lived there. That's not the kind of renter that you get rid of. Now, Ziggy was arrested for dealing drugs. This was years after Lindsay's murder. And he was also once charged with murdering a man who was dating Ziggy's ex-girlfriend, Shannon, and assaulting her. Keep in mind, we said charged with murdering. Mm -hmm. He was not convicted of that charge. There does not seem to be, I'm not saying that he's innocent, in that situation, but in this situation regarding Lindsay's case, there doesn't seem to be much of a connection between him and Lindsay other than he is a guy that was a friend, was a one-time friend of Jason's. Right, but she right, she sees something that Lindsay sees something she's not supposed to see. The mother then has to take care of it. Ah, I have this renter. He's, he's a, depending on who you ask, low-level to mid-level, uh, drug dealer, uh, he has a shady past. I'm going to hire him. Yeah, and the thing here, too, is uh, probably for me, the most, the strangest thing in this whole weird case is a phone call that some say took place and some say did not take place. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a, a friend of Lindsay's, after her murder, receives a call. She said that the 
she received a call from a woman who was very obviously using a fake accent. And she received this call for unknown reasons. Her friend says that she tries to call the person back and called repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly until finally somebody answered the phone. Yeah. The person that answered the phone was Shirley Zalo. This is one of those weird situations, Captain, where I don't know what to make of this whole idea. I, I, I personally believe that if this story is true, that's very damning. Well, that's what I mean. I don't know whether to make if this story is true or not, because we have Lindsay's friend who says that this is what happened. And then later we have Shirley saying that never happened. I don't know what that person is talking about. Well, right. But uh, all we have to do is is, somebody can prove this through phone records. So again, as the investigator, I'm going, okay, you tell me this happened. You, you claim that Jason's mother called you, use this weird accent. Okay. Uh, The rumor was that, that the friend called the number back about 20, 30 times because Obviously, by at this point, when your friend has been murdered and she's supposed to meet the Mexicans at, at the showing and you possibly have heard rumors of this weird accent and you get a call with that, you're just going to keep calling back, keep calling back, and finally she, uh, Jason's mom answers. Now, there should be some phone record of that. But to me, you know, it's, it's one of those things where does it prove anything? Other than a phone call was made, no, it doesn't. But man, that that would uh, to me that's a giant red flag if this is true. Well, that's what I mean. I don't know whether to make heads or tails of it, whether it being true or not. We have we all we have is two stories: one story that it in fact happened, and the other story that it never happened. Well, if the friend wants to prove the point, they could, you know, release the phone record. Well, what is that going to show us? So that's, a, that's a, at least going to show that the, the phone call was made, that there was an incoming call from a number that she called a number back multiple times. And, uh, and then somebody eventually answered. And if you can prove that, then that's some evidence that your story is correct. Right. But what I'm saying is we don't have a third party to tell us if this in fact happened or not. And so therefore I can't make an opinion on, on this whole scenario. Right, but that's what I'm saying. If if I'm the friend and I know that this happened, I'm releasing that those phone records to at least prove, you know, to somewhat try to prove my point. Correct, correct. I'm I'm with you on that. So people need to keep in mind though that the Saanich police they state that they have cleared the Zalo family of any involvement. The spokesman for the Saanich PD stated in a press conference, "quote." We would like to state unequivocally that no member of the Zalo family is considered a person of interest or a suspect in this investigation. Our detectives are satisfied that the Zalos have no knowledge or any participation in this horrific crime, end quote. So who's next on our list? How about Lindsay's ex-boyfriend, Matt McDuff? Shirley Zalo said on Dateline that Lindsay had confided in her that she was afraid of her ex, Matt. Jeff Buziak says that Lindsay wanted to leave Jason and rekindle things with Matt. Mm-hmm. More importantly, what do the police think of this Matt? So Lindsay and Matt dated for five years from 2001 to 2006. There is some indication that their relationship was rocky. Dateline reported that she called the cops on him three times in that five-year period. Matt did tend to be involved in the drug scene. And he did have some buddies who were considered to be bad news. One of these guys is a guy named Edgar Acevedo, who goes by Vid. And another is Erickson Delacazar and his brothers and associates. Now, we'll get into them in a bit. But first, Matt has a pretty strong alibi, okay, for the time when Lindsay was murdered. One, he was with his girlfriend's family. Two, this is over an hour away at the time. And Matt and Lindsay, they didn't have any contact with each other for months. And it had actually been broken up for nearly two years at this time. Right. 
Matt was interviewed and appeared to be genuinely affected by Lindsay's murder. Jeff Buziak implied that Lindsay was still in love with Matt and wanted to get back together with him. But the problem with that is we have police saying that there was no contact between the two of them. Mm -hmm. So we know that this is a murder for hire situation, or it at least appears to be that way. So when we look at somebody as a suspect, we can't just go, well, they had an alibi, so they didn't do it. You, I mean, yeah. you, you purposely hire somebody to do that so that you do have an alibi when the murder goes down. Well, like I said, be as far away as possible or as close. But the problem with this whole statement is, there. look, he may have known some bad people. Mm-hmm. There's no evidence to suggest that he was in any way involved. So I yeah, feel, I think I goes, feel like with Matt, you're just really spinning your tires in, in, in saying, well, what if, what if, what if, what if, but again, where is the evidence that there's any proof that he is tied to this murder? Yeah. Law enforcement, they don't like him as a likely suspect, but there is a connection there. He might not be involved, but his knowing of Lindsay and his relationship with Lindsay could become a cause, correct? Well, one thing that police uncovered in their investigation of Lindsay was a possible connection to some very nefarious activity. Remember, Lindsay's father, Jeff, lived hundreds of miles away in Calgary, Alberta. Right. Lindsay flew out to visit him for three days in December of 2007. So they're going to be digging deep into her life to figure out where and why was she killed, right? Well, they go out to Calgary and they're investigating her murder. While they're there, they discovered that she, that Lindsay reached out to a male acquaintance from Victoria, contacting this person once by phone and once via Facebook. It is not known whether the two actually spoke, met in person, or anything about the nature of their contact. In fact, Lindsay went out at least twice during her visit to her father. What she did, where she went, and who she saw is unknown. Okay, clear this up for me. Did she, She's the one that made contact with this individual? Or, or the individual made contact with her? What is reported is that she contacted this person once by phone and once via Facebook. Okay. Anyway, this person that she contacted was a family member of a very bad man who we've already named, Erickson Delacazar from Victoria. Now, Erickson, along with a partner, Graham Scott Taylor, these two were arrested in January of 2008 in what Sergeant Horsley described as, quote, the largest drug bust in Alberta history. We're talking about $8 million worth of cocaine. This bust pulled in 67 kilos of cocaine, plus weapons and cash. All right, set up the dominoes, and with just one tiny little push, watch them all fall. Because this bust triggered a massive scandal that reached into the echelons of the Canadian political machine. We can't tear through all of that here. It's kind of a big story, as you can imagine. But within the next few months right 12 more operatives were arrested and calgary police they figured out that this thing was much much bigger than expected so to emphasize this Lindsay contacted a family member of erickson delicazar for unknown reasons and to an unknown extent right just a few weeks later erickson was busted in a massive operation an informant based in victoria told police about the large-scale dealings of Erickson and others, and wiretaps and surveillance had been in place for two or more months. The snitch had specifically told police about a safe containing over 40 kilos of cocaine. Just days after the bust, which took place on January 22nd, someone activated the burner phone, which had been purchased in November, to set up a meeting with Lindsay Buziak. They took the ferry from Vancouver to Victoria, met with Lindsay at 1702 de Sousa Place, and killed her, escaping and leaving almost no trace. Lindsay's murder resembled a targeted professional hit, 
retribution, or perhaps a message to be sent to someone. This huge drug bust was not immediately connected to Lindsay's murder until police and Sanich discovered that she knew some of the people arrested in Calgary. And this connection, even though very remote and uncertain, has given rise to a working theory publicly discussed by the Sanich police in Lindsay's case, stating she was targeted and killed based on a mistaken or deliberately misleading information that she was the informant. The people busted in the drug bust knew that there was a snitch. Somehow, Lindsay's name got passed along to the higher-ups in the drug ring, saying that she was the rat. Perhaps they knew she had been in contact with Erickson's relative, or the wrong person had come across her name. It's possible that cowardly, lower-level drug ring members knew that Lindsay was not the snitch, but deliberately led others to believe so, that she was, and when they took care of her, they were seen as solving a big problem and getting retribution. Mm -hmm. And of course, it's possible that the real informant gave the drug gang Lindsay's name in order to save their own ass. Quote, what we can say is that people lost a lot of money, and the people that lost the drugs know that someone spoke to the police, said Sergeant Horsley. Adding, quote, a witch hunt occurred where people were being questioned. People were being pulled out of their beds in the middle of the night and asked, who have you spoken to? Because they know someone spoke to the police, end quote. Police confirmed that Lindsay was not Lindsay was not the informant, right? but believed that someone may have thought that she was. They said that it was possible that Lindsay was believed by her killers to have revealed information that she shouldn't have, or to have heard information that was damning to them somehow, or that she was simply connected to a dangerous person without realizing it. Sergeant Horsley said, you can be a person who just works and minds their own business in Victoria, yet through a very brief network of friends, you could be absolutely connected to people that are involved in very bad things. Interestingly enough, it was also reported by the CBC News in June of 2010 that the police did not believe that the couple who lured Lindsay to the house to be killed, they did not believe that they lived in Victoria making it even more unclear how someone got her name or singled her out. Now, in an attempt to grasp a better understanding of this very complicated, involved theory, we spoke at length with author Gary Rogers. Gary is a retired RCMP homicide detective and forensic coroner who is now a best-selling investigative crime writer and a blogger with the Huff Post. And on his own blog, he has stated that a Mexican drug trafficking cartel organization headed up by the infamous El Chapo operated a large distribution network out of Calgary, Canada. Members of one family headed up the local distribution arm, the Beltran Levian family. The cartel took a large monetary and security loss in what's called the Calgary High Noon Police Operation. The Calgary drug bust, as we discussed, they lost $8 million worth of coke and two of their operatives and then 12 more were arrested after Lindsay's murder. As a result of the high noon bust, the remaining mid to lower level drug trafficking players in Victoria, B.C. and Calgary and Alberta were now well over their heads with debt and to the DTO's Western Canadian conduit. They had lost 67 kilos of cocaine. They were compromised, and their backs were up against the wall. And they sacrificed Lindsay's life as a diversionary scapegoat in a damage control conspiracy. Lindsay's hit was designed to send a message down the line to the distribution network that snitches would not be tolerated, and to send a message up the line to the cartel that the problem had been dealt with. Of course, we don't know who actually called for the hit on Lindsay or how she was singled out, but we do know that she knew a lot of people 
who were somehow connected to this drug trade. Just by virtue of living in Victoria and being social and associating with people in that world like Matt McDuff, and perhaps her reaching out to a family member of Erickson Delacazar, triggered suspicion by someone in the network once it discovered that there was a snitch, and it spiraled from there. Now, we should point out that Erickson was, in fact, in jail at the time of Lindsay's murder. One thing that I do want to discuss, though, Captain, is as far as Gary's upcoming book, he has an even more developed theory about who killed Lindsay. Mm -hmm. And it all stems from what we just spoke about. It's all tied to the high noon drug bust and the players involved. Mm -hmm. One of the men charged in the high noon bust was Leo Rojo Beltran. He's a Mexican citizen with deep drug connections. He was part of the family that ran the cartel's Canadian distribution arm and was very high up in the organization. He lived in Calgary. His sister, Mila Rojo, lived in Barnaby near Vancouver. One of the drug transport vehicles used in the drug trafficking scheme was stationed at her home, so she is very likely involved in all of this. Now, Mila had a very heavy Hispanic accent, and she looks very similar to the police sketch of the woman who met with Lindsay outside of the DeSouza Place residence. With the right build, short blonde hair, and a profile similar to that in the drawing. Leo is six foot tall, with very light skin and a medium build. These two fit the bill of Lindsay's, quote, Mexicans perfectly. Mm -hmm. Leo Beltran was arrested in the wake of the high noon bust in December of 2008. He was held for a year only on charges of possession of proceeds of a crime. But on his file, it noted specifically that he was the specific target of another investigation. We don't know what that is. One has to wonder, is this Lindsay's case? Leo was deported from Canada to the U.S. in 2010, and Mila left Canada as well. They both moved to Southern California. Lucky you, California. Gary believes Leo and Mila are Lindsay's killers. Why would Leo Beltran have thought that Lindsay was the informant? The short answer is we don't know. Neither do the police. Gary also believes that it is possible that Leo Beltran knew that Lindsay was not the snitch. Right, just a scapegoat. Right, that he believed that the cartel would believe him when he said that he had taken care of the informant by killing her involved or not. He was sending a message that the problem was dealt with. Whoever did kill Lindsay, they covered their tracks very, very well. No DNA, no weapon, no fingerprints. Bloody footprints that didn't lead to anything. A burner phone. A vacant house sitting for more than a year, unlikely to have any other people around. Almost dark, a quiet neighborhood, and a stealthy exit. No one saw anything, including a getaway car or bloody clothes. Lindsay was lured to the house and attacked from behind in an upstairs bedroom away from windows. Police came to the conclusion early on that Lindsay was targeted in a professional hit, and after 11 years, they still believe that this was the case. Our recommended reading for this week is dyingwords.net. That is where you will find Gary Rogers' blog and information on this case. He takes a deep, deep dive into all of the angles And I recommend if you want to learn more, you can find a lot of that. Well, all of that there. The captain and I talked about this could have been a case that we could have covered for several weeks. It's a big case. There's a lot of speculation. Just that big drug bust on its own is a huge story. Yeah, there's many layers of this onion. And if you want to dive in a little bit further um, and not just take our word for it, this is where you want to go. The other thing that the captain and I believe is we agree with the statement that this appears to be a professional hit. Somebody, for whatever reason, wanted Lindsay Buziak dead. What we also agree on is that if you could determine the motivations for that factor, Mm -hmm. 
then you very likely will find the road that will lead to the kill. We want to thank you so much for listening to the show, telling a friend, sharing our show with your friends on social media. For everything True Crime Garage, check out truecrimegarage.com, and we'll see you next week. That's right, and until next week, be good, be kind, and don't let it. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.